So what I may do this morning is I'll, I'll, I'll change up a little bit what I'd planned to just kind of fit where we're going and hopefully if it feels a little bit less planned, I apologize. Just trying to make it fit with what God's been speaking this morning. Um, look, we're gonna continue on with Revelation. We're gonna jump back into um, everything that we've been doing. But before we do that, um, I want to talk to us. Hopefully this is working. Hey. Anybody like McDonald's? Yeah. You got fans? Fans? I am. Um, wow. That was, that's all I got to do. I'm just going to put fast food up every week just for shouts of joy. Um, I've got a real love-hate relationship with McDonald's. I don't know if any of you else feel this, is that whenever I go on a trip, right, when I'm back at the house, we try to eat healthy. We have try to have our good veggies and, and everything together. Um, but whenever I go on a trip, like to like one of the Baptist Hueys down in Wellington or like a lead conference, or whenever I go on any sorts of trip and I leave the confines of my normal house, um, all of my good eating habits go out the window and I just crave McDonald's so badly, you know? And here's this thing is, I will be, I'll have like a huge breakfast while we're out and then it's lunchtime and I know I don't need that much food. Like I know it's lunchtime, I could probably get away with like just a small hamburger and be fine. But there's this deep drive within me that every time I go to McDonald's, maybe it's because of when I was in YWAM and I always just wanna get the most for my money, but every time I'm like, I'm gonna pick the meal that gives me the most food for the least amount of cost. It doesn't matter how hungry I am, I feel compelled to. And if you're curious about it, in McDonald's, the best food to get is the Boss hamburger as like a large size meal. The Boss, it's got like two quarter pounder patties with like bacon and cheese, it's amazing. Anyway. This is bad before lunch, isn't it? This is not a great sermon illustration. You guys are eating food though, you're all right. Um, but there's this thing that happens to me every time is I get this combo and I'm like, this is gonna be legit. It's gonna be amazing. And I eat it and flip it tastes good. Like it's so good. But then like half an hour after McDonald's, you get the shame. You know the shame? It's not just regret. It's a deep abiding shame is you're like, what have I done? What have I done? I feel the same way about KFC. Anytime I go to KFC, I think this is gonna be nice. And then I leave KFC and I'm like, I regret every decision I've ever made. <laughs> like for KFC, their brand slogan could be regret in a bucket. Like they could just be the way that they, they launch and they sell themselves. But McDonald's for me has this epitome of like, it promises me something so good. Like it promises I'm gonna I'm love it. And then every time I eat it, I walk away and I'm like, that, that was a poor decision. I regret this. And then I'll have a friend who went to Tank and got like a smoothie and a salad and they're just like, I feel great. And I'm like, I hate you. Um, <laughs> but it, does anyone else resonate with that? That feeling of like something that you think is gonna be beautiful and lovely and it's like the guilty pleasure that you're drawn to. You just need to eat more McDonald's? No, that is never the answer. <laughs> That's a quick way to explode. Um, and it's that thought of something that appears beautiful, that seems like it's gonna be lovely, but then leaves you with this horrible pit feeling in your stomach. That's what I want you to hold on to as we engage with Revelation's text today, because that is what it's asking for us, okay? So that with that feeling of something beautiful that makes you feel gross, Let's engage. We're going to be listening to Revelation chapter 17 uh, today. And as you're listening, I want you to be thinking, A, who is this woman that's being talked about? But more importantly, B, how does she make you feel the way she's described and detailed? 
I want you to be thinking what feelings come up as you listen to it. Does that make sense? Cool. All right, let's go into Revelation today. Oh, back. Revelation chapter 17. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was, and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw, where the prostitute sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority 
until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. All right, how's that? Now, if you're new here, you may be thinking, what kind of church have I come to? These people are cultish, right? So I get it. it. It is weird language that we are not used to hearing on a Sunday morning, and it is terrifying. There's naked people. There's abominations and blood and filth. It's, it's weird. I acknowledge that. We all know that. Everyone in this room is thinking, how is this in the Bible, right? But one of the reasons why I love it is because it's not Sunday morning perfect. Again, one of the biggest critiques that I think we all feel with the church is that on church on Sunday, we hear about this perfect world and a perfect Jesus who's gonna help us with our perfect things. And then on Sunday afternoon, we go home to a world filled with blood and nakedness and awkwardness and abominations. And our lives are messy and gross. And one of the reasons I love this text is because so is it. Life is hard. Life is weird. Faith is complicated. That's okay. So if you struggle with it, you don't feel like you have it all together on a Sunday, and you sometimes feel like your world resembles more like blood and filth and abominations than it does Happy Sunday Christians, you're in good company because there's a book for you called Revelation. Anyway, just if you're new to try and minimize the fear there. Um, so with that, weird passage, eh? I wanted, first question, asking that question, who is that woman? Like, if you were to ask, if you, Revelation was asking you, who is that woman? Any ideas, any thoughts of who she is? Huh? Rome? Yep, fantastic thought. Someone was mouthing Babylon who's too afraid to say it. I see, I see that mouth. Babylon, yep, I see that, yep. Any other thoughts of who this woman is? Jezebel, yeah. It's like this combination of all the terrible things in the world combined up into one, right? And um, Donald Trump, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so it starts. Um, yeah, all right, so... There's lots of thoughts about who she is. More importantly, how did that text make you feel, the way she was described? What raises up within you? How did, how did it make you feel? You can say nothing. You can say, that was boring. I didn't pay attention. That's also allowed. Yep. How did it make you feel? Gross. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Everybody's just like, yeah, it's gross. That's the reason I want, when you read scripture, you're trying to pay attention to those questions because particularly Revelation is trying to raise up things within you. Um, so now, just a, what's going on here? Um, there's two questions that we're gonna answer. One, super fast, because it's not super interesting, and then I wanna spend time on one that's a lot more interesting of a question. So just for context, we're right near the end of the book of Revelation, and they've been on this journey talking about dragons and beasts and... Uh, Essentially, what Revelation is saying is that there are systems of evil in the world that are fighting God's good purposes, and lots of nations and kingdoms will get into bed with those forces of evil. The message of Revelation is that God is leading a new exodus, he is ending evil, and he is bringing out a new, hopeful, redeemed world for all of us. And so when we're getting into here with this passage, where it fits into the book is God right now, it's like everything that's evil, God's pulled out the foundations, and like a Jenga tower, it's all beginning to collapse. So today we're looking at this horror of Babylon, who's the first thing that collapses, right? So what's going on? For years, this has been a really tricky passage, and so we're gonna look at first at the question of like who. Um, we've been super confused by this passage, trying to figure out who it means and what it talks to. You know, for there was like, here are the five kings, five are fallen, one is, one rules only a short time, and here's the eighth. You know, for a long period of time, we thought that applied to different popes. 
And uh, with every changing era, it was a different set of popes. So that when we try to apply it into modern day context, it gets really confusing. Uh, another thing that we've often tried to do, um, hopefully that works. Here we go. Um, anyone who was around in the 90s, do you remember hearing talk about the EU and Revelation? Here are the 10 kings and the 10 horns coming together and it was the one world market and everything was gonna end. That got complicated once you got more than 10 nations in the EU market, because then it didn't fit the number 10 in Revelation anymore. Although I'm not sure how many members are part of the EU, but maybe Brexit actually brings that back as a possibility. <laughs> like maybe they've gone from 11 to 10 again with the UK leaving. Anyway, so we've tried thinking about it as the EU, but that hasn't worked out over time. Um, this was one of my favorite ones. Um, here we go. <laughs> this one made me happy. Katy Perry did the Super Bowl and rode a giant tiger, and all the Christians are like, she's the beast. She's not, she's not. So like, whenever we've tried to apply the who, and we tried to apply it to modern context, whenever we've done this in history, we've got it wrong. It's just, that's not how this book works. So instead, going back to the question of who, I might just, um, you might need to help me, uh, Dave, and I'll lift up my hand, and then you can just click it through every time I do this. We're looking first at this question of who. So what's being talked about here? Um, so let's whiz through this because it's not a super interesting question. Um, the beast uh, talks about the beast which you saw once was, now is not, yet will come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. It sounds super confusing, but listen to how similar this language is to God, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, while the beast not, was not, was, but now is not, yet will come up, but will be destroyed. What Revelation is doing is saying, you have God and Jesus, who is good and light and truth. And then you have the beast and the dragon, and it's setting up as a parallel between the two. Does that make sense? So the beast is systems of evil and oppression, Satan, demonic forces, all kind of bundled up into one big idea. Um, the next one is the woman. So it says here, I saw the woman once sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. That's the beast we talked about. Seven heads, 10 horns. Now, the seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits, and there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other is not. Again, this can seem really confusing, and you're like, is it time-based? Until, look at this ancient coin. Um, here you have an emperor, and then on the other side you have Rome, embodied as a goddess. And you see those little lumps? Like if you Pokemon, they look like the little diggy, dig, diggery ones, right? There's seven of those little mounds, and they represent seven hills, because Rome was known as the city that sat upon seven hills. So when it's talking about this woman who sits upon this beast of the seven heads, which are the seven hills, and this was a regular coin that was used, John's obviously like, it's Rome, it's Rome. He's not saying it subtly, he's shouting it from the rooftops, right? Um, and then at the end, that's confirmed later on. Uh, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth, which again, when John wrote this book, what was the great city that ruled over everything? Rome, right? So that's the who. So it's describing Rome. In a, in a shorthand, it's saying Rome gets its power from the beast and all the nations love her, but she's doomed for destruction. Does that make sense? So that's the who. But that's not the interesting question. The interesting question of this text is why? Why is she described this way? Why is she talking about this way? What is John wanting us to engage with or learn 
from this image. So if you go into her description, um, before we do that, look, if you've been on this journey, you know we've talked about Rome and we've badmouthed it pretty heavily a lot, eh? It's like every week we're like, Rome is evil! And if you're Italian, I'm sorry, it's not race-based, I promise. You're great and we love your food. Um, but I think it's easy when we engage with this text to assume that Rome was just always nasty and evil. But the truth was, it didn't look like that on the surface. Like, Revelation makes it sound horrible, but if, you, if you're in a small provincial town in Asia and you think about Rome, God, it's beautiful. Like, Roman architecture and city design was incredible. Like, these huge, massive palaces on the hills or, like, another big one is the Pantheon. Anyone been to Rome and been to the Pantheon? Amazing, isn't it? It's just mind-boggling that they built this without any of the infrastructure that we have. Incredible. Or check out, like, their system of aqueducts was moving water from all over the world to make these cities flourish. Like, amazing. Or here's the best one. You know Rome is classy. Um, Baths. Everywhere. Like, you know you've reached a good spiritual state when your biggest concern is stinkiness, right? Like, if you're in a small provincial town, you're like, I just want to eat. And then the Romans are like, oh, darling, you smell. We shall create baths in every town across the empire. You know, like... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Um, I can't. It's gone. So you have, like, baths, right? So you have beautiful buildings, you have aqueducts, you have baths and cleanliness, and honestly, if you're a church like Philadelphia, or a church like Laodicea, and you're Christians, and you're business owners, and you're just trying to make it, and your town feels backwater and small, when you look at Rome, man, she looks beautiful. She looks great. Like, why would we not want to learn from the Romans? They're doing some really good things. Like, why would we not want to partner up with them? If they can get fresh water to our city, why would we not engage with that? Does that make sense? Like, Rome was amazing, beautiful. And in this description of the woman, she comes off as incredibly engaging in these first verses. So I'll show you the punishment of the great prostitute. That part's not great. Um, but she sits by the many waters. And with her, the kings of the earth commit adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. This woman was dressed in purple. She was robed in scarlet, and she was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. Like, this is a beautiful woman. She is wealthy. She is classy. And the world, and it talks about the kings of the earth, look at her, and they're drawn in, like, man, she has got a lot to offer. This is looking great. But this is what Revelation's always trying to do, is at first sight, things may look like something, but Revelation, the word apocalyptic means revealing. So what it's trying to do is it's trying to pull back the curtain, saying, when you look at Rome, you look at their aqueducts, you look at their cities and their baths, you see this beautiful woman, but let's pull back the curtain and see what sits underneath. And it goes on to say, she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Now, English doesn't quite give justice to that. Abominable things, it's like sewage. It's like excrement. Inside of her cup is human waste and filth. And that's what she carries around with her. Everyone's so excited to get a taste of her wine, but Revelation's like, do you want to know what's inside? Doo-doo, you know? Like, 
but in much stronger words. Or the name written on her forehead is Babylon the Great. Now, we just assume Babylon's kind of a cool thing, but if you think about Israel's history, Babylon was the last empire that came to Jerusalem and burned it to the ground, destroyed the temple, and took the people away as exiles. 20 years before Revelation was written, the Romans went to Jerusalem, tore down the walls, burned the temple to the ground, and took the people away as captives. You see, it's pulling these together. She's the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. And like, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's people. Can you hear like her lust for war, her lust for power and to do it at any cost? Like she's getting high off her own ability to take people's lives and do with whatever she wants. It's this huge critique of Rome. Flip, she looks pretty. But let's peel back the curtain. And what are you getting? Um, Keister, in his fantastic commentary, um, describes it this way. The name Babylon connotes tyranny, materialism, and false worship, while the name Jerusalem connotes, uh, connotes, connotes, connotates, connotates, um, deliverance. So he's contrasting the woman from Revelation 12, who represents the church, and now this woman from Revelation 17. Uh, the whore debases relationships by turning them into commercial transactions while the bride exemplifies honorable relationships, Babylon personifies the arrogance, materialism, violence, and false belief that are at work in the reader's world. And then when it talks about the kings who come and love this woman, it talks about it this way. Look, this image critiques the way that kings and others in authority enhance their own positions with Roman support, while allowing Romans to drain the resources of their realms supplying the empire's desire for gold, silver, slaves, and other trade goods. Revelation's saying, you know all these aqueducts that you love? You know all these buildings that you're enamored by? You know all these baths that you think are amazing? Guess who's paying for them? We are. The oppressed slaves from all over the world. Rome was known for going into regions and just taking all of the wine and leaving only the smallest bit for people to live on and taking the rest in taxes that all got shipped to Italy that which were sold and consumed en masse for the elite, right? Huge, and so a huge critique of everyone who loves her are willing to let go of their own principles in order to get her power, in order to cozy up to her. So it's trying to peel back the curtain and show you what's underneath. Another way of thinking about this is Rome, Babylon, she's kind of like McDonald's a little bit. Now, hear me out. I know it seem, may seem drastic, but flip, those pictures look good. On the meals, they look like this is going to be incredible. You've seen the photos of those burgers. You can see every patty and every pickle until you order it, and then you're like, uh, and then you eat it, and you're like, uh. another way of thinking about it is um, don't look inside the chicken nugget. We all know those chicken nuggets. We don't want to know what they're made from. I mean, it's supposed to be chicken breast. Sure, right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but that's what Revelation's doing. It's ruining the things that, on the one hand, may look beautiful, but if you open them up and dig inside, oh, it's not great. Now, the, does that make sense? So this is what John's trying to do. He's trying to critique these things. Now, here's the interesting thing as I've tried to, when you read the text, is that in the middle of all of this, 
You have John, our representative there. He says the most interesting phrase. After he sees her, uh, let's see here. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And then an angel said to me, why? Even John is amazed at the marvel of this woman. Even John is like, fuck, this is incredible. And the angel turns to him and says, why? Now, we're good modern people, and we would never fall into the same traps that people of Revelation did, right? Never. I mean, we would never support a global economic system that oppresses the poor for our own benefit, right? Like, we would never, never do that. Um, I was trying to think of a modern way to draw this in, and the best way I can think of is a... Um, there was a big festival called the Fire Festival. Does anyone, has anyone heard of this? Some, some of you have heard about this. Back in 2016, 17, this was crazy. Let me just sum it up what's happening here because it was amazing. It's a phenomenon unto itself. In 2016, some of the world's biggest models, social media influencers, actors, celebrities, the biggest names, all of their Facebook and Instagram feeds were taken over by a single orange square. And just at the bottom, there was a hashtag, Fire Festival. And it generated heaps of hype. No one knew what it was about, other than that everyone who was anyone was talking about it. And then a few weeks later, a video comes out promoting what's called the Fire Festival. And I was gonna show the video today, but it is 90% women in bikinis, and my mom's in the audience, and that would make me feel weird. Um, <laughs> but you can watch it later, and then we can pretend at church that we didn't watch it. Um, but essentially what it was, is it was this huge advertisement for the best, most exclusive, most beautiful, incredible music festival the world had ever seen. In this promo, they had some of the most beautiful big name models um, come together and have like a weekend of partying. There was drinking, there was flares, there was boats, there was yachts, there was crystal clear blue water, and they promoted the fire festival. Two weekends of luxury celebration. Come to Pablo Escobar's private island and listen to some of the world's top bands perform while the world's biggest and most beautiful models walk around and hang out with the common people like you and me. And you can have access for this for the small, meager price of 1,500 US dollars for a day ticket. If you wanted to stay on site in one of their luxury, eco-friendly geodomes, $12,000. Or for the extra exclusive, you could hire your own yacht with a minimum booking of 10, $25,000 a piece, and stay on a yacht off the coast while the full staff catered to your needs 24-7. It blew up. The whole world was enamored by this, and all the tickets sold out in 24 hours, gone. Everybody put forward huge money to go to this festival. Man, it looks beautiful. Can you see that water? It'd be nice to... I'd like to be on that boat. Jeff, you gonna take me out on your boat there? Um, wouldn't that be lovely? It's beautiful. She's like this woman clothed in purple and scarlet promising you celebrity, promising you fame. It was gonna be a cocaine and sex and music-filled, romp-filled weekend with other beautiful people and no ugly or poor people allowed. Like, it was gonna be amazing. But when you peel back the curtain, 
on what actually happened is slightly different. Rather than being Pablo Escobar's private island, um, they realized you can't just run a music festival on an island with no power, no water, no toilets, no infrastructure, and no airstrip. F funny that. So they had to move it to another island in the Bahamas, and so what was supposed to be a private island experience was actually like a boring concrete pad right next to other more beautiful resorts, right? And so these luxury spaces are now cheap, crappy marquees that you would see at youth group events is where they were eating. I mean, lovely marquees that you see at youth group events. Um, or what about those fancy geodomes? They're supposed to be on yachts and geodomes. Those geodomes were actually the same tent that the U of N uses for refugee centers all across the country. <laughs> and they set them up en masse, but they didn't, it was air beds and mattresses that were just shoved in with no sheets, no power, no lighting, and when the people arrived on the first night, there weren't enough beds or sheets for everyone. It also rained, and they hadn't organized to put all the beds into the geodome, so half of the mattresses were soaked. And attendants talked about it being like Lord of the Flies, as people got into near riots trying to fight for mattresses and claiming geodomes at will and fighting people out of the air ones. It became like literally, get out of my, like it was intense. Some of the geodomes lit on fire. There was fire and looting, and it was, it was crazy. It was just absolutely insane. Is there one more of those? I can't remember. Yes, and there was supposed to be amazing food. It was supposed to be VIP catered food the entire time. And uh, one of the reporters said, Fire Festival was birthed by beautiful models using their Instagram influence. Fire Festival died with one tweet of a cheese sandwich. This was the meal that the people got. Essentially what happened was they could not put it together. They didn't have the infrastructure, the cash, the money, nothing. Every band pulled out the day before it officially started. Um, they canceled heaps of flights flying to Florida because they actually couldn't take any more people. And of the people who came, they were stranded there with no power, electricity, or water, sometimes for over a couple of days as they tried to get out, but they couldn't, literally, couldn't. And this was the food that they got. Cheese toast, cheese sandwiches. And it was, um, the whole world looked on and thought, oh, haha, look at those rich kids getting what they deserve. Like, if you were on Twitter at the time, it was a Twitter fest of just mocking all the rich kids who got burned by the economy. But there were also some people who weren't rich that actually put all of their money into trying to go. And when they got there, this is just an organization that took their money and gave them nothing in return. The organizer of Fire Festival was sentenced to six years in jail and I think had to pay back $600,000 in fines. I think it was right around that. I need to double check that, but he had to pay fines and he's gone to jail. Um, but here's the thing. Fire Festival is the same as the woman. It's just a different context. It's still McDonald's. The promise of something beautiful that we think is going to satisfy us. For, for John's time, it was Romans, it was power, it was infrastructure. For us, it's recognition. It's weekends to think we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. It's the hope that we might be discovered and become a celebrity and then have the freedom to be known and make all the money that we can. Like Babylon was Rome, but also she's so much more than Rome. She's anything that entices us to think that we're going to get what we want from her but then actually just gives us nothing in return.
She's the hope of love, of security, of power, but she's empty. There's nothing in her. And so for John's time, man, they were tempted by her, but today we are tempted by the same things. She comes in a different format. She looks different, but she's still there. She's still McDonald's, promising to give us something that we want. So you could almost reword it to saying, when I saw fire, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said to me, why? Now, um, if I can get the band to come up, we're going we're gonna to land this. This text in Revelation shows us something incredibly significant. It tells us really something unique and beautiful about sin that we can so easily miss. Now, sin we often think is just the big things that we do wrong, that God's getting angry for us. But Revelation actually puts a different spin on it, where it talks about basically sin is beautifully destructive. None of us ever engage in unhealthy practices because we're like, I'm going to be a bad person today. But we're trying, to, we're looking for something that we think is going to satisfy us. We're hoping for something that's going to give us that fix, that's going to get us past that level, that's going to take us to that next stage. And so we're looking around and there are all kinds of things offering that to us. Do you feel emotionally overwhelmed and like you can't handle it? Like some days are just too much? Well, you are in luck because Netflix promises you a 24-hour medication system where you never have to deal with those emotions ever again. There's countless hours of media where you could throw yourself into it, and you could. But what's going to happen? You've done that binge. You've done the binge thing. It's great for like a few hours, but when you've done a day of consuming all of this media, how do you feel? You feel miserable. You can't. You can't sustain it. The same is offered to us with actual food, but often from the healthcare perspective, are you feeling bad about yourself? Are your emotions running low? Do you feel like you can't make it on top? Well, good news, for $44.99 a week, there is a healthcare plan that will give you all of the self-satisfaction that you desire. Just pay me your money, come to my gym, and you'll get it. But how many of us have been on those plans, we've paid money to those things, and we leave just feeling more empty? We're drawn to beautiful things. We're looking for, for intimacy. We're looking to be known. We're looking to be loved. We're looking for security. And there are beautiful Babylons all over that are calling us and promising us things. Revelation's warning is pull back that curtain and underneath every one of those systems, what are you gonna find? Emptiness. Revelation's description is there is only one thing that will satisfy your deepest desires. There is only one thing that will help your heart to find home. There is only one thing that will ground you into forming you into the person that you are called to be. And that person is Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. Revelation saying, be careful because the call of the woman is loud and pervasive and the kings of the earth want to go with her. But did you notice at the end of that passage what happens to this woman? She's consumed by the very things that gave her her power. The beast that she rides upon that gives her her strength and her prominence is the very beast that destroys her. The kings that come to her longing for her power and her strength and her wisdom, those are the very kings that use their power to raise her to the ground. 
It's beautifully destructive. Netflix promises you that you'll be happy if you just keep on engaging, keep consuming that content, but you will keep on doing it and you'll be left with nothing inside. Sin is self-destructive. Those promises are self-destructive. And so Revelation's call is with those desires in the ways that we look at her and are astonished. Revelation says, why? Turn to Jesus, the one whom your heart truly, truly desires. And so today, just kind of fitting in with what's been going on as we've been leading up today, I've just wanted to give us space for us to respond to that. Again, some of us may be fine, life is going well, things are going okay, but for some of us, we may be carrying in things this week that we have given ourselves over to, ways that we have self-medicated, Babylons that we have gone and courted because we thought it was going to give us hope. If there are things this week that you are carrying in today that are leaving you feeling hollow and empty, I just feel like Jesus wants to give you an opportunity to lay those down, to come out from Babylon and to come back to him. I feel like Jesus is calling today, some of us really specifically, to remember the passion that burns within us, the deepest desires, because your immediate desires are not often your truest desires. Jesus is calling you back to your deepest desires, to be known, to be loved, to have a place, to have belonging, hope, future, salvation, the deep things that we love. Jesus is calling us back to that today. And so for some of you, I want to give us some space to respond to that. Could, so, could you please stand?